last year my son Eli was born so they're trying to get him to breathe and he wasn't they were unable to get a breathing tube through his nose so that they started wondering and worrying a little bit Eli wasn't able to breathe through his nose because the bone and cartilage in the back of your nose didn't open up it had grown completely covered over they said that we're going to need to have him brought immediately to Pittsburgh Hospital, that they were going to be sending a ambulance up right away. So this is in the first four hours of him being alive and being with us, we had to let him go <laughs> and go to Pittsburgh. I was immediately started praying and I reached out to a men's group. Every person that I knew that knew God, I definitely had them all praying, whatever it took to, to set the situation right. They were planning on scheduling a surgery for him that day. And, but while he was there, he actually learned on his own how to breathe through his mouth. So the first day, they weren't able to get him into surgery that day. So they said, well, we're going to try to get him on the list for Thursday. On Thursday came, and they said, we weren't able to squeeze him in. Friday came, weren't able to fit him in. There was too many other things that were more important. The next availability for, your, for the surgeon would be on Monday and the surgery got canceled again <laughs> I had my family here certain people from this church were praying over us praying for healing for him praying for the successful surgery so they did the surgery on Wednesday afternoon everything went like extremely well it took a while it was about a two-hour surgery afterwards is when they told us that it's about a two-week recovery time and then they possibly could have to do another surgery, but they wouldn't know until they seen how he was healing. Actually, that very day, he like immediately started eating that same day. So he got done with surgery at three o'clock. So three and a half hours later, they were already taking the feeding tube out. He was breathing well, and he actually was trying to eat. Friday, she came in the afternoon, checked him over. She said, everything looks great. Instead of two weeks, we had two days of recovery. And we were back home Saturday at 1 a.m. So when uh, when Eli was born, uh, by that point in time, my wife and I we had been separated for almost a year. We had got back together for a little bit of time and tried to make things work and it wasn't going too well and we had separated again. But during this time we spent in Pittsburgh with him in the hospital for that week through all those delays, we actually got to spend time together. We prayed together. We both got to see a little different side of each other from where we were at. But uh, there was definitely a time during that week of healing in our relationship for her and I, because back home, we were just going through our day-to-day -day motions, separated with the kids, going to school, going to work, and not really even trying to work on anything. And God really worked a miracle, I think, in that through those delays and bringing us back together in the time we spent there. Cause when I went home, we planned on, I was just going to stay at the house for like two weeks to help Sunday. The 24th will actually be one year and bless God, I'm still staying at my house <laughs> and we've worked out things and uh, we're working on our marriage instead of working on a divorce now. So through all of that, God also healed my son and our relationship all together. God had a plan that I didn't, I guess. And he used the circumstances that we were in 
for another good that I didn't even realize at the time was going on. And Eli are on the front row. Would you guys stand up here so we can just thank God for this little life? Look at this guy. <laughs> In staff this week, uh, we were discussing which miracle video to show. And um, we had initially thought about a different one. And then, and then by a series of circumstances, we decided, well, we're going to show Noah's this week. And a few days later, I, it, it dawned on me, today I'm going to talk about a father that prayed for his son, and, and the son got healed. And I thought, this is perfect. This is like Noah's story. And then when I watched that video, what we didn't know is that today is the one-year anniversary of him being home with his marriage healed and his son healed. So isn't God so good? He works out those details. He's so much smarter than the staff, and we are thankful for that. So the, a miracle is an unusual manifestation of God's power designed to accomplish a specific purpose. And in Noah's story, we can see that one of the purposes of that miracle was to restore his marriage. And so for the next several weeks, every Sunday until Easter, we are looking at the seven miracles in the Gospel of John. Uh, last week, we looked at John 2, when Jesus turned water into wine. And if you missed it, you can catch it on the podcast um, through our website so you can catch up. And I believe that as we look in the Gospel of John and we see these seven miracles, we are going to be encouraged. Um, I believe we're going to be excited. I believe that God has miracles that he is going to unleash here, even in our congregation. And as you pray for each other and you pray for your family and you pray for your children, that God is going to do something just like we saw when Noah and his wife prayed for their son. And so it's a good day to be in church, and I'm glad you're here. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about a challenge. There's a challenge attached to the series, a challenge that I really want you to take to heart. And a few of you I know already have because you messaged and told me that you did. I asked you last week, and I want to ask you again this week, who do you know that needs a miracle? Who do you know that maybe has a problem? Who in your circle of influence needs a breakthrough? Maybe who needs to experience the presence of God? And I'm asking you, uh, the challenge is to bring one person to experience the presence of God in the next three weeks of the miracle series uh, leading up to Easter. And we're asking our youth to do this, and we're asking our kids to do it. In fact, in the, in the kids' church today, if you brought a friend, you got to sit in VIP seating with donuts and juice. I might do that here. I might, that was a good idea. Uh, and so that, that was really cool. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here for the first time because someone invited you. Maybe they heard this part of the message last week. And I want you to know this. We, first of all, we are so glad you're here. We are so glad that you're joining us, that you are deeply loved. And you know what's so amazing is that you are loved so much that God put you on the heart of your friend that God put you on the heart of your family member to invite you here today because he wants you to know him. He wants you to know his name. His eye has been on you, and he has never, ever forgotten you. And so we are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we talked last week about how the prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. Prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. No one wants a problem, but everyone wants a miracle. But you can't have one without the other. And so if you have a problem, the bigger the problem, the bigger the potential for a miracle. 
Uh, we all face challenges. We face adversity and tests and problems all through our life. Um, it seems like when we get through one, oftentimes the next one is waiting for us. And sometimes the problems can be handled in different ways. Sometimes the problem can be handled with hard work. Sometimes the problem can be handled with creativity. But sometimes the problem cannot be solved unless there is an act of God, unless there is a miracle. In 1856, Booker T. Washington was a, a great man. He was born into slavery. And when he was nine years old, he was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation, and he moved with his mother to West Virginia. He didn't know how to read or write. And so when he got there, when he was out of, out of slavery, he worked very hard. He went to school. He wanted to catch up with his peers. And in 1872, he left home, and he walked 500 miles to Hampton Normal Agriculture Institute in Virginia. And along the way, he, he picked up odd jobs to support himself. And he walked himself to college. And he convinced the administrators to let him attend the school. And he took a job to pay for it as a janitor. And all day long he studied and all night long he cleaned the school. Day after day after day. And the school's founder, the school's headmaster, soon discovered this hardworking boy and offered him a scholarship. And Booker T. Washington graduated with high marks and was chosen to speak at the graduation ceremony. And then after he was chosen to speak, he was offered a job as a professor teaching at the school. He went on to be the, the leader, the president, we would call it today, of Tuskegee University in Alabama. And at his death, it had, this university had more than 100 buildings 1,500 students, a 200-member faculty, 38 majors, and nearly a $2 million endowment. Booker T. Washington is one of the most influential African Americans in United States history. He had big challenges. He had lots of adversity, but he worked hard to overcome them. And he was able to accomplish something that some of us never would or be able to. Now, sometimes challenges can be overcome by creativity, uh, it reminds me of this story of a man who owned a little store on the East Coast, and um, he, he sold groceries and small gifts and pharmacy items, a little corner store. And the city began this urban renewal campaign, and on the right side of the, the man's store, they bulldozed it, and they put in a massive grocery store where all the prices were cheaper because they could buy it in bulk. And he thought, oh, this is not good. And on the left side, they, they bulldozed and they made a, a store that, that you could buy, a discount store where you could buy everything cheap. <laughs> and you could buy it in bulk. And, and, and the man went home discouraged. And he said to his wife, there is no way our corner store business is going to survive anymore. Between these two massive buildings, no one will even see it. And even if they did, we won't be able to compete with it. And so one day he had an idea. He would make a sign. It would be the biggest sign, the best sign. He would drain all of his savings for this sign. He would ask the best sign maker in the city to make it. And the sign would only have three words on it, but it would revolutionize his business and solve his problem. And the sign would read, main entrance here. <laughs> creativity. Solved his problem. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes it's creativity. But sometimes it's an act of God. 
And so we're going to look at a, uh, an account in the Gospel of John, John 4. And this man, no amount of hard work, no amount of creativity could accomplish what he needed. He needed a miracle. And so let's read together today from John 4, 43 to 54. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had been there, for they also had been there. And once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, replied, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So when Jesus started his ministry of miracles, uh, the people weren't handling it very well. Uh, It references here, as we opened up this this, um, encounter in verse 43, that the prophet has no honor in his own country. It also is, this is said in Mark 6, 4, uh, where it says, uh, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. So the Galilean people welcomed Jesus because they saw everything Jesus had been doing during the Passover feast. They believed because they saw what Jesus could do. But we know that faith is believing in what we can't see. And so the Galileans only got it partially right. They believed it because they saw Jesus turn water into wine just a little bit ago in that same city. But they only wanted Jesus for what he could do for them. They were far more interested in seeing miracles and selfishly getting their own needs met than they were in having an encounter with Jesus. And when we seek miracles uh, for our own gain, to largely solve our own problems, we completely miss the message. Because the value of knowing God and walking with him is far greater than the solution to any hardship that we're seeking. Who God can be to us is far better than what God can do for us. Who God can be to us is far better than what God can do for us. Let's say God heals your body, gets, gets you out of a financial bind. You go to your mailbox and there's $100,000 in there. That's a miracle some of you would like to see. Solves your problem, gives you a miracle here on earth. If you never come into relationship with him, you may have a healed body but you miss out on the joy and the peace and the purpose and the direction and the friendship and the Savior and the King and the hope that comes with the relationship with Jesus. That healed body or financial need that's gone won't ever get you to this this situation, this experience with the Holy God. If you think about it, what, what, what good is a miraculous financial burden lifted after you die? Not helpful. You can't take any of that with you. 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you end up with a miracle, but not with God. You end up in separation from him for all of eternity. So when Jesus spoke of a prophet not being honored in his own home, he is sensing that the people feel that Jesus is only as good as his next miracle. What can we get from him? What do we need? What can we get from him? Not anything to do with how can we have relationship with him. And so I want to ask you this morning an important question. Are you more interested in God for who he is or what you can get? Are you more interested in God for who he is or what you can get or what he can do for you? I've heard this called foxhole faith. Foxhole faith. Foxhole faith is when we're in a crisis, we come to God and we say things like this, Lord, if you get me this job, I promise I will tithe regularly. Just, I just really need this job. I can't afford things in my life. I need this job. Or if you send me my spouse, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Where is he? Or we say to the Lord, if you just get me past this grief in my heart, I promise I'll help other people. Or if you get me out of trouble this time, just, just please get me out of trouble this time. I promise I won't do it again. And you know, the Lord who is so gracious, often meets us in the point of crisis at the foxhole. And he gives us the things that we ask. But when the miracle is delivered, the crisis has passed, we forget the promises we made. We forget the promises that we made to God. And the Lord wants to take us from foxhole faith that solves your crisis to this mature, saving faith of eternal life. And Jesus wants us to believe in him and follow him, not only because he delivered us from our crisis, but because he is our Savior and Lord, and he is worthy of us trusting him, and he is worthy because of who he is. So this is the scene of John 4. This is how the people feel. And so in the middle of all this scripture, it says that a certain royal official uh, found Jesus in Cana. Now, this is what we know about this guy. He worked for Herod, the Tetrarch. Um, he, Herod is the one who will mock Jesus before he was crucified. And so this royal official's boss would not be happy with this guy's endeavor. He is coming a bit on a risk. First century Israel royal officials and Jewish rabbis did not run in the same circles. This was defying the protocol. And it says in scripture, his son was very ill on the brink of death. And in this culture, scholars estimate about 50% of children died under the age of five because of the lack of medical care. And so the threat was very real. The threat of the son dying was very real. And the royal official came 16 miles uphill to Cana. And we know that because of the way the land is made in Jerusalem. And some miracles take sweat equity. Some miracles take sweat equity. Are you willing to walk 16 miles uphill for the miracle that you need today? Most of us follow Jesus to the point of, of inconvenience, but no further. We're more than willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't detour our plans or cause us an extra heartache or pain or make us wake up earlier on Sunday or make us miss, miss a football game. We'll follow Jesus as long as it doesn't bother our agendas. 
But if you want to experience a miracle, most of the time, you have to go out of your way. You have to go 16 miles uphill to experience a miracle. So verse 47 tells us that the royal official kept begging Jesus to come and heal his son. My son is dying. Please come. I came here to see you because I heard that these are the types of things you are doing. Would you please come to my hometown? Come to Capernaum. It's a few hours away. And please come and lay your hands on him. This royal official was in a foxhole. He desperately needed immediate help. And so I want to read again how Jesus responds. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And what he means by come down is come down to his town. Now remember, Jesus is not only talking to the royal official. He is sort of using this moment to talk to the crowd. In fact, in the scripture where it says, unless you people, that you is, is plural in the original text. In the NIV, they translate it, you people. If we were in the south this morning, they would translate it, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will never believe. If we were in Pittsburgh today, it would be, unless yins see signs and wonders, yins will never believe. Jesus has this moment. He has this teachable moment with this royal official, and he says, I'm going to tell everyone here, because remember, you all just want another miracle, and that's not what it's about. And we see he uses this miracle moment to help them understand the big picture of what he's trying to do. And he did this with his first miracle in Cana at, his, at this wedding, and he's doing it again here. And he wants the people and the royal official to see the greater need than the request before him. Jesus wants to move them, and he wants to move us from foxhole faith to genuine saving faith. He, he wants to move us from asking, what can Jesus do for me, to who can Jesus be to me? Who can Jesus be to me? And we can't see the man's heart, but it does seem like something changes uh, after Jesus speaks to him, because this detail may seem small. In fact, you might miss it if you read it quickly, but it's a very important piece to the puzzle. The royal official then addresses Jesus as, Sir, sir, please come before my child dies. Now this man, he understands the rank of authority. He works in government. He knows the rules. And he knows in the political sphere, Jesus was subject to his royal official. Jesus was subject to him. But in the spiritual realm, it's as if the royal official had this moment of breakthrough that he realized the roles are reversed. That the authority of the king of kings trumps any earthly king. This man realized he needs a miracle that was beyond this, his human ability, but it was well within the authority of Jesus. And so he humbles himself, and faith comes over him, and he gives Jesus the authority that is due to him, and he says, Sir, please come down and heal my child. Now, I think many of us can relate to this moment. The man already has a plan for the miracle. Jesus, come to, my, come to my city, lay your hands on my child in my home, and if you do that, he'll be healed. He had faith for that. He had this preconceived idea in his heart and his mind 
how the situation would work. He played it out in his mind thousands of times. Now, how many of you have ever done this? You say to God, I have a problem. I need your help. I also have the answer. Here's how you can fix it. And then you play it out in your mind. I'm just going to walk in there and they're going to say, man, you're the best employee we got. You're going to be the CEO. I'm just going to go home and then in the morning, a car is going to be in my, in my driveway, just fixed, clear. You can do this. Heal the muffler system. I've prayed over cars before. I can't lie to you. But it's as if the creator of the universe sees our problem and goes, hmm, geez, I don't know how to fix this. This is perplexing. Oh, Nicole, you have an idea? Thank you. That is such a good idea. I didn't even think of that. Oh. <laughs> we don't have to suggest to God how to fix it. In fact, this scripture is telling us that our job, our number one job, is to put aside our expectation and take God at his word. And that is precisely what the official did. In John 4.50, Jesus replies, go, your son will live. Jesus was not going to go to his hometown like the man suggested. Now, the royal official had a big choice in this moment because Jesus had given him his word. But the question is, would the royal official believe him? Because if he left that day and traveled all the way back to his hometown and his son was sick, first of all, he may not survive much longer. After Jesus replied to him, there wasn't like a bolt of lightning or an earthquake. His wife couldn't text him and let him know, hey, he's good, start traveling home. Nothing could happen. His son was miles away, so the official couldn't even see the miracle happening to prove it to himself. There was no exterior sign, and this man had a big choice. Would he believe God's word or his own worries? And we have a tendency to be more committed to our worries than God's word. We can have more faith in our worries than the promises of God. And one of the reasons I think we have a hard time believing God for miracles is because we believe that God has to be subject to the law of nature. The man wanted Jesus to come, see his boy, lay hands on him, but Jesus knew he could do a miracle long distance. All he needed to do was speak a word. He didn't have to do it the way, the plan that the royal official had. And if we are going to experience miracles, we have to learn to doubt our doubts and not doubt our God. We have to learn to doubt our doubts and not doubt our God. And so we see in this account in John 4 that the royal official starts the journey home in faith. And when he sees the servants of his house proclaiming the good news that his son is better, the man says, okay, but what time does it happen? which is kind of a funny question. The servants are probably like, what? Okay, um, and they're thinking about it. Uh, it was one o'clock, it was the seventh hour. And that report was the exact time Jesus's words were spoken. God performs all the miracles. God is responsible for them. But we see in the scripture and we see all the time that nearly every miracle has a human component. Sometimes you need to step into the Jordan River like the, like the priest of Israel before God will part the waters. Sometimes you need to wade in the Jordan River seven times like Naaman did. Sometimes you have to fill jars of water to the brim before he turns them into wine. 
And sometimes you have to go and take God at his word that the miracle has happened without seeing it first, like this royal official. Some miracles take a single step of faith and others require multiple obedient attempts. But you have to do the natural things before God will do the supernatural. So what is God asking you to do? What step is he asking you to take? What is the thing that, that he, is, he is asking you to do in the natural? You know, the single greatest miracle is the forgiveness of sin made possible through the crucifixion and resurrection of the sinless Son of God. Of all the 35 miracles documented, we could talk about all of them, but there is not even a close second. The miracle of salvation is available anytime to anyone, anywhere. And if you're here this morning and you want to experience that, if you have never said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, I want to know you, I want to have relationship with you, he offers you that miracle today. He wants a relationship with you. And honestly, the natural step today, so you can activate the supernatural, is to come at the end of the service to one of these two tables here in the corner and just talk to somebody about it and say, you know what? I want to know Jesus, and I don't even know how to do it. And trusted friends at those, those uh, tables will help you. But I want to encourage you. I want to implore you to take that step because it's the most important thing you'll ever do. And it's a miracle that you can experience today. And so for the rest of us, your miracle might be on the other side of that person you're asking to come with you in the next few weeks. Maybe God's waiting for you to be obedient to that so that he can release a miracle. Your miracle might be right after you forgive that person that you've been hanging on to or, or give that, that financial gift that God's asking you to do or take that risk or, or, or do whatever God's been saying to do. I don't know what it is, but I'm believing that when you do the things in the natural, just like April had that word here this morning, that God will activate the supernatural and that we need to walk in faith, that we need to believe God's word above our worry above our worries, that God will do what he says he's gonna do, that he is a miracle working God, that he is a way maker. So would you stand for just a minute? I'm gonna pray for you. And again, if you want to make that first step toward Jesus today, just while everyone's sneaking out that way, you come this way, and there'll be some people here at these tables. Uh, in fact, if you're gonna stand at the table, would you go now just so you're ready? And um, they'll be able to just pray with you and, and talk to you about it, give you some resources that we have there. Jesus, I thank you that you are the way maker, that you are a miracle working God, Father. I thank you, God, that you are asking us to take you at your word. And today we receive your word. We receive the word that you're trying to speak to us. And Lord, we trust you. We trust you even when we can't see it. And so I pray today that many of us would experience the miracle we're asking for, God, but we wouldn't experience it for miracle's sake, but we would experience it because we want to know you. We want to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray we would settle that first, God, that we would come to you just because we want to be with you, not because we want something from you. Father, we're trusting you for big things. Lord, we're trusting you that there's miracles all around us. We just need to pay attention to them. God, we love you. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name.